we have been following God's people on their journey uh, towards flourishing, towards the fullness of life that God promised to them uh, throughout this year. And uh, we come near the end. We're going to come back and, and to the law and to the Ten Commandments throughout the summer. But uh, today we come near the end of the, of the narrative, the story parts of, of Exodus, continuing a story that we started last week with Exodus chapter 32. And so look with me. I'm going to read uh, just a selection from chapter 33 and chapter 34. But we're going to consider both of these chapters kind of as a whole. So join me in Exodus Chapter 33, uh, beginning in verse 12, and I'll read to verse 23. Hear now the word of the Lord. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I might know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, that's God said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people in the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. And then to chapter 34, verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning... A trusting in the promise and the gift of your Holy Spirit. 
Which means that as we come to these words, these stories, that they aren't merely ancient words, but they are living words. You've given your spirit to us that as we open these pages, as we consider these narratives, he enlightens our minds and our hearts. He opens us to receive your voice and to be changed by it. We trust in that this morning and, and we need help trusting in that because we come to a story that has some difficulties to it, has some strangeness for us. And so we, we throw ourselves on your promises. We rely now on your spirit and ask that you would be at work in us by him. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have a, I have a question for all the good Presbyterians in the room. And because you're Presbyterians, I'm not going to ask you to, to answer me out loud. Uh, but here's the question. What is the chief end of man? That question comes to us from the 17th century. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, this important piece of our theological traditions, opens by asking, what is the chief end of man. And then it gives us this answer. It says the chief end of man, which is to say the ultimate purpose of being human, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, that's a a pretty churchy answer, isn't it? If you hang around Christians for very long, you will hear us using that kind of language. We'll talk about doing things for the glory of God, about wanting our lives to glorify Him. But maybe as you've heard that, and even as you've said that, maybe like me you've wondered, what does that mean? What does that even mean? mean? How do we do that? How how do we live to the glory of God? What does that mean? Well, I think that's a really good question, and I want to bring it to this text. I want to bring that question to Exodus chapters 33 and 34, because at the heart of this story is the glory of God and a very special connection to God's glory. And so come with me to this text, and we'll find that we glorify God in two ways. We glorify God by seeing His glory and by reflecting His glory. So first of all, we glorify God by seeing His glory. Now in order to see God's glory, we have to know what we're looking for, right? And and when Moses... In chapter 18, or in verse 18 of chapter 33, when he asks, when he requests, Father God, please show me his glory. Please show me your glory. We need to think about what is he asking to see? What is Moses requesting when he asked God 
to show him his glory. Well, notice that this request emerges from a crisis. Remember from last week that God's people had rejected and replaced him with the golden calf. And God's wrath had burned against them and threatened to consume them. But because of Moses, and because of Moses' prayer to God on behalf of the people, God withheld his full judgment against them. That's chapter 32. And then, in chapter 33, God comes to Moses and he says, Okay, it's time to move on. It's time to leave this mountain. And as you move on, I'm going to keep my promise to give this people victory over their enemies and prosperity in a new land. I'm going to do that for them. But, as you go, I am not going to keep my promise to dwell with them. I am not going to keep my promise to live with them. You need to recognize that before this whole golden calf incident, God was giving Moses blueprints, a building design for the tabernacle, God's own tent, the plan for God to be with His people, to dwell with them, to live with them in a unique way. And now God says, we're scrapping those plans. We're throwing that blueprint in the trash can. And you will go, and you will get milk, and you will get honey in this great new land, but you will not get And how does Moses respond? How does Moses respond to this? He says, quite brazenly, not good enough. Not good enough. Moses steps up once again as an advocate. And he says, God, keep your promises. Not some of them, but all of them. Because the promise of this land is worthless, God, without the promise of your presence. Once again, just as we saw in chapter 32, God positively responds to the advocacy of Moses. And he says, okay, Moses, as you have reminded me of my promises, as you have prayed for this people, okay, I will go with you. And when God says that, Moses makes his request. Please show me your glory. So what is he asking for? What is Moses asking for? He's asking for proof. He's asking for a sign. He is asking for God to demonstrate... Not only who He is, but who He is for this people. He is asking God to demonstrate not only His character, but His commitment to dwell with them, to go with them, to be present with them in this unique and special way. Which is why Moses' glimpse 
this glimpse that he gets of God's back, it comes with words. It's not just a vision. It's not just something he sees. It's something he hears as well. Look in chapter 34 with me. Verses we didn't read the first time around, but famous words that echo throughout the Bible. Verse 6 of chapter 34. As God displays himself to Moses, this happens. It says, the Lord passed before him. There's the visual. And now here's the audio. And proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. God not only shows Moses something, but He says to Moses, Here's who I am. He expands Moses' understanding of his name. This name that he gave to Moses all the way back in chapter 3. And he says, yes, I am the Lord. I am who I am. But you know what else? I am also gracious and compassionate and merciful. I am absolutely committed to justice, but for this people, I will also be absolutely committed to mercy. He says, I will hold all of these characteristics together so that I can reconcile with them and remain close to them. That's the glory of God. It is the concrete display of who He is for His people. And to see the glory of God is to experience the beauty and the power of who He is for us. For us. And I say us because of Jesus. Because in the New Testament, it says very clearly, that the glory shown to Moses, this display of who God is, shown to Moses, can't even compare to the glory that is revealed in Jesus. The one who is the embodiment of God's full presence. The one who is the enactment of God's name. You see, Jesus, as He spread out on the cross, was the concrete demonstration of who God is for us. One who does not clear the guilty, but because He has poured out His wrath on His own Son, is for us gracious, compassionate, merciful, forgiving, reconciling. Jesus is how we see the glory of God. But I wonder, even though we have access to greater glory than Moses had, do we share his desperation for it? 
Do you share His desire to know the glory of God? See, God offers Moses everything that we Americans want. Property ownership, plenty of money in the bank, security, success, a comfortable future. He offers him everything that we Americans want, and Moses says, not good enough. He says, God, you could give all of that to us, but if we don't have you, we're still in poverty. We are still in poverty if we don't have your presence. So, let us die in the desert if you aren't going to go with us. Do you share Moses' sense of value? Do you share that perspective on what is truly beautiful? On what is truly powerful? I think we struggle with that Because we have such easy access to lesser beauty. We have such easy access to things that seem like viable alternatives to glory. And the question then becomes, with all of that competition around us, the question becomes, where is your attention? Where is your gaze? I remember when our youngest, Sam, was a baby, I remember one night uh, sitting on the couch and staring at my phone. And as I stared at my phone, out of the corner of my eye, I caught a, a glimpse of him, and I looked, and he's sitting there staring at me with this massive grin on his face. One of those, those melt-your-heart baby smiles. And in that moment, I wanted to take my phone and chuck it across the room. Because I had no idea how long he had been sitting there staring at me with that grin on his face. My attention was on an inferior beauty. My attention was on a lesser value. How much more valuable the smile of my son than Twitter. But how often do we live that way? God's smile, His favor, His beauty displayed to us in the gospel. The message about Jesus. But our attention elsewhere. Our attention on reputation, or wealth, or temporary pleasure. Our gaze directed away from what is truly beautiful, what is truly powerful. And God is glorified when we lift that gaze to Christ. When we lift our eyes by faith, to Jesus. 
and see God's glory in Him. And we worship, we delight, we adore, and we believe. So God is glorified when we see His glory. But, that can make glorifying God seem like private spirituality. It can make glorifying God something that we do maybe on Sunday, maybe in our quiet time, maybe on a Christian retreat. But glorifying God is so much more than that. Because we glorify God not only by seeing His glory, but also in all of our lives, reflecting His glory. Moses didn't encounter God just for himself. This whole story that stretches all the way back to chapter 32, it all ends with what? Moses coming down the mountain as the moon. Right? He comes down the mountain and his face is shining because he's been in the presence of God. Of God. Moses is a mirror of God's light. He is the visible display of God's presence. And not only that, that, not only is there video here, there is also audio. Because as Moses comes down from the mountain, he's not only shining with the presence of God, he also carries with him these tablets of stone with the words of the renewed covenant on them. And he speaks to the people all that God had spoken to him. So Moses is not only the mirror of God's light, he is also the echo of God's voice. And remember the crisis. Remember God is saying, I'm not going to go with you. That's what God has said. And now he says, through the body of Moses, I am with you. This is who I am. Moses looked and sounded like God. He became, he became in his body the concrete display of God's character. His commitment towards his people. He became in his body a reflection of God's glory. And I have said throughout this series, as we read the book of Exodus, we need to constantly remember that we have someone better than Moses. Right? In Jesus, we have someone better than Moses. And that's true, and that's good, and that connects here, but there's more. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he takes the shining face of Moses. He talks about what happens here in these chapters. He takes that shining face of Moses and he says, not only is Christ better, but Christian, you are better as well. You are better than Moses, church person who belongs to Jesus, you are able in your life to sound and look like God. 
you are able, in your ordinary life, as you go to work and you relate to your friends and your family, you are able to be a concrete display of God's character. You, Christian, are able to be the moon to reflect God's glory into this world. How? How is that possible? Well, it's Pentecost Sunday. It's a day when we remember that Jesus, as the revelation of the glory of God, He not only lived, He not only died, He not only rose from the dead, He not only ascended into heaven, but what else did He do? He gave His Spirit God's own presence to us, to the church, to the community of people who belong to Jesus. And what did that look like? This is a question for those who are part of the women's Bible study on Wednesday mornings who've been studying the book of Acts. What did it look like when God poured out His presence on His church? It was tongues of fire, right? Light and sound. God enabling his people to look and sound like him, to reflect his character, to display his glory to the world. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, You're better than Moses. You have a greater brilliance than Moses. But why? It's because of the ministry of the Spirit. It's because of the work of the Spirit in your life as He reveals the glory of Christ and then reproduces that glory in you. And I'm going to jump to Galatians 5. As He produces in you love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. As the Spirit produces that in you and us, He is reproducing the image of God's glory so that we become the moon, the reflection of the goodness of His character, the beauty of the Gospel to the world. Which means that reflecting God's glory is a little like falling asleep. Can you make yourself go to sleep? Outside of some foreign substances, you can't make yourself go to sleep. Right? But there are some habits. There are some good habits. Right? Regular bedtime, turning out the light, putting on your PJs, getting in a comfortable position. There are habits that promote an openness to sleep. It is the same way with this opportunity that we have to reflect God's glory. You cannot make your life glorify God. That's the work of the Spirit. But there are good habits. Like 
gathering for worship, prayer, reading the Bible, other spiritual disciplines, these do not make us glorify God, but they open us to the work of the Spirit. As He reproduces God's light in our life. And we embrace this incredible calling to reflect God's character to the world. So how do you glorify God? How do you glorify God? That old catechism helps us with a less churchy word. It says your your ultimate purpose, the chief end of man, your ultimate purpose as a human is to glorify God in what? And enjoy Him forever. You see, you'll glorify God as you enjoy, delight in what God has done through His Son Jesus and in what God is doing by His Spirit in us, even now, as He makes us a mirror of His light and an echo of His voice. Let's pray. Father, we want that. (laughs) And some of us just want to want that. It is so easy for our lives to become about false glory, lesser beauty, It's so easy to lose sight of what you've done for us, of who you are for us, and who you call us to be in your Son, Jesus. So would you lift up our gaze? Would you help us to see the beauty and the power of who you are for us? That yes, perfect justice, but also because of Jesus, perfect mercy, a gracious and compassionate God. And as we see that, would you help us also to open ourselves to the ongoing work of your Holy Spirit? As He wants to produce fruit in us that often seems ordinary, but actually with an incredible brilliance, reveals the beauty of the gospel to the world around us. Would you do that work in us? We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you please stand? Let's respond to the truth of Scripture, uh, the proclamation of the gospel, with our affirmation of belief, of trust, in the words that God has given to us. Let's affirm our faith using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, 
and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, We come now uh, to the table that Jesus has given to us, and it is a table of glory. It is a table that reveals who God is for us, because it shows to us what Jesus has done, that His body was broken, His blood was poured out for our forgiveness. But it is also a table that is a part of God's work of reflecting His glory through us. He promises to be present in this meal, nourishing us, giving us His Spirit, which enables us to live as a reflection of His character. And so trusting in that, desiring that, I'm going to invite you to join me in coming to this table and receiving uh, these gifts from our gracious Father uh, through His Son, Jesus Christ. It is a table for those who are in Jesus, for those who have uh, proclaimed, professed their faith in Him, been baptized as a part of the church, If you're here this morning and you cannot say that, you're not a believer, we're glad that you're with us. We'd love to talk with you about the Christian faith. You won't take this meal with us, but we hope that you would receive Jesus and what he has done for you. So join me as we come to the body and blood of our Savior. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give thanks and praise. Let's pray. Father, it is right to give you thanks and praise because of the wonder of what you have done. The beauty and the power that you have not forsaken us. You have not left us alone, although we in our sin rejected you, alienated ourselves from you. You have pursued us. You have made us your children through your Son. And you have given us your presence. We thank and praise you for your gracious, good, and powerful work on our behalf. We ask that you would nourish us, that you would send us to indeed reflect who you are to the world around us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. As I read the words of institution, I'm going to ask Chris and Greg to come and prepare to distribute the elements. The Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it. And He said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also He took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ Christ has died. Christ Christ is risen. Christ will come again. If you'll hold on to the bread and cup until everyone has received them, and we'll take them together.
These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Christ's body was broken for you. His blood was poured out for your redemption. Receive these gifts, believing and worshiping. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you have been present with us, that you have been at work here this morning. We pray that you would continue that work as we go out those doors and make us a bright light for the gospel this week. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.